Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So it is finally here. We finally have the update uh, for the version 2021 uh large, you know, update that we got uh, quite a while back last year. Um, Super excited to kind of talk about this. Um, If you haven't already guessed, uh, this will be a two-parter episode. There's just so much to cover uh, that there's just no way we're going to be able to do what we normally do and discuss the show in detail or, you know, the update in detail. Um, while, you know, making it one episode. So uh, for today's episode, um, we will be discussing uh, Starks, Baratheons, and Lannisters, uh, which will be the chunk of um, the update. Uh, And then after that, we will uh, do the next episode. We'll cover the rest of the factions. So... um, Tonight, uh, or today, sorry, I'm getting everything all mixed up. Uh, we have with us, uh, uh, it, Brett should be on shortly. Um, he is currently finishing something up. Uh, and then we also have on uh, Cyrus. Thank you uh, so much for coming on. Uh, no problem. Happy to be here. Awesome. So I know you have sort of limited time, so we're going to actually jump into Lannisters first, uh, which kind of works. Originally, I had planned to do Starks first because there was something I kind of wanted to discuss with Starks. But um, if you is one uh, similarity and changes between the two, and uh, they both have the big concern I have. So, But we'll get to that. That'll probably be the last one we bring up. Um, But... Uh, first thing I, we could talk about is the guard captain. Um, so if you guys have not seen the update yet, if this is kind of new, you know, news for you, go to the Simon, uh, a song of ice and fire Simon, uh, page and under articles, their for uh, newest article, um, it is called, uh, 2022 seasonal updates. If you click on that. Uh, it'll bring you to a link that'll have uh, a master change log as well as revamp game mode document and updated FAQ. Um, so definitely go check that out. Uh, that's where we're going to be referencing everything. And we will kind of take a peek at, they have designer notes on all the changes. So we'll, we'll take a peek at those to, um, you know, just for context. Um, all right, but yes, uh, the first thing we will be discussing for the Lannisters is the Guard Captain, which now has hold the line order. When this unit activates, target one enemy engaged with this unit. It suffers two hits, plus one hit for each of the unit's remaining ranks. Um, I don't think this ability is going to be, like, you know, broken or anything, but I think this um, this ability is going to be, like, meta defining in a sense uh it was already crazy enough to see it on the thens when they previewed that uh, i can only imagine what this provide to uh lannister guardsmen uh how do you feel about this guy uh cyrus i'm very excited i really like this change to the guard captain because even though iron resolve was a good ability it wasn't run very often in, t- in the 2021 update just because it was nice, but if you throw him into a Lannister guard, now you're at six points and and you're a little bit better morale. But 
it just it just didn't seem to fit with a lot of the the units that the Lancers like to run. So just getting rid of the Iron Resolve and, and getting this ability is actually really exciting. I would say that there is not a single Lannister unit that I don't want to try this guy in. And that includes ranged units like crossbows. Because if you charge crossbows, yeah, that's what you want to do to keep them from shooting. But when they activate, they can hit you with some hits and then retreat. And they still got something out of their activation instead of just retreating. So it's it's pretty exciting. And I really like what this guy is capable of. Now, when you're theory crafting and you're talking about other units that get extra hits, like my favorite unit, Lansport City Watch, potentially get eight free hits when they activate an attack. And then you have their die roll. So there's some pretty crazy wombo combos that you can pull off, including if you run like Tywin and you get an additional four hits on top of that. So the free hits are really good. They're especially good with what I think will be the top two factions uh, in in this next update, which will be Greyjoys and uh, Free Folk, because they don't have super high armor. So those free hits are probably going to help keep Lannisters c- competitive with those top factions. Yeah, I I think uh, to miss uh, the old guard captain, I know a lot of people didn't value intimidating presence that much. Um, personally, I love intimidating presence, you know, but I think uh, taking away was probably good. Uh, There's too many uh, crazy. That's a different uh, unit. That, that's a different attachment. That's assault veteran. Oh yeah, this you're was right. the one that had iron resolve. Yes, you're right. Okay, so uh, all right. So <laughs> now they have both. Now I'm not going to know which one to take. Um, uh, with that said, I will only barely miss Iron Resolve on one list I had. I I ran uh, Tyrion Commander with a bunch of halberdiers, and just for fun, I put uh, guard captains in them to make a morale five with a minus one. Um, yeah. But uh, but otherwise, yeah. Um, I was mixing them up there for a minute. Uh, it looks like we have Brett on. Brett, so let's uh, get your take on um, the guard captain change. I will give you my take on everything that you didn't ask for. Um, how does how does the microphone <laughs> sound? Everybody can hear me fine? Yeah, we got you. Sounds good. Okay, cool. So um, uh, the guard captain... We lose me. Dead error, just me, or is everybody off? Uh, sorry, guys. It looks like uh, Brett dropped right as I was screening a call. <laughs> Go figure, Brett. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I apologize for the dead air there, un- unless uh, Cyrus, you were talking. Um, I-, I was. So I was, I was trying okay. to figure out what happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I appreciate it. But yeah, Brett uh, looks like he dropped. I don't know if he just has bad reception or uh, whatnot, but uh, we'll bring him back on as soon as he can jump back. Um, but all right, so with that said, um, 
let's see. The hold the line, I think, like you're saying, Cyrus, he, he's going to be clutch for just decimating low armor, um, not just factions, but just builds. For example, you know, there's some Stark builds where they have like a ton of Berserkers. And even though Berserkers get stronger as you take more ranks out, I mean, this is happening just as you activate. Um, this is one of those abilities that, like I said, it's not going to be broken, but it is going to be a little concerning uh, how effective it will turn into being the fact that it's happening as you activate and then you're potentially swinging at your opponent for an attack. Um, especially if, uh, let's say they already activated, you charge into them and then you go first next round. You've now attacked. You're now going to activate, hit them with a bunch of hits because you're going to be full, obviously, because you did the charging, and then swinging again. And you won't have to worry about them taking the free attack because they're probably going to have a dead unit. Um, so there's a lot of potential with this guy, uh, but we'll have to see. I'm going to try to stay a lot more optimistic than usual because um, overall, in this update, I really love what I see. There's only one thing, and again, we'll get to that one thing that really scares me about this update. But otherwise, I think uh, Simon definitely went in the right direction. Um, all right, looks like we have Brett back. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to mention about the guard captain before we uh, move on? I think basically, I think basically the summation of my rambling that I cut off because. I am so computer illiterate, I closed the email screen, which closed Blog Talk Radio and kicked me off, so that's fun. Um, yes, old, old, old man Grandpa Brett doing old man things. Um, no, I think, I think the attachment is good. Borderline great. Um, auto hits are so, so good, especially when they come from a source that's not an attack, right? Because then they're bypassing things like resilience and hardened and... Uh, most of the like popular units are kind of glass cannon type units, and uh, those auto hits are just going to wreck those units. As far as Lannisters go, not 100% sure where the home is. If you put um, an assault veteran, or excuse me, if you put the guard captain in a unit of guardsmen, they're just, I mean, I think the, their, their only option is to retreat. Um, unless they really think that they can take two ranks off, because then you're talking about Lannister supremacy and a follow-up hold the line when the guard activate. That is a lot of passive damage, I think, is going to be a hard no. Uh, I think Mountain's men would prefer the Assault Veteran or maybe like Man and Moore or somebody like that. Um, strangely, it, it, well, it definitely works in City Watch. Cyrus and I have talked about that a lot. You're, you're doing a lot of automatic hits. I think, oddly, it could maybe work in Pyromancers too, because... Pyromancers are a unit that they will want to charge to get rid of because their offensive potential is bonkers. So if you can draw them into the Pyromancers, it could be a little bit of a trap because they'll have to take Horrific Visage, and then when you activate, they'll take the hits plus the Pyromancers' nasty attack. 774. With a morale 6, it's iffy on if they pass their Panic Test. Hypothetically, without Vicious or something like that, they should. They shouldn't lose two ranks from a charge. So they'll activate, they should get get you for four hits, and then do their seven attacks. could be pretty nasty. 
Yeah, I, I can't wait to kind of see what this guy shapes up to be to become. Uh, one thing I do want to mention before we move on, and uh, and that's for a lot of the people that were kind of concerned about the card packs being obsolete or being pointless. Uh, most card packs, I'm pretty sure, have a minimum of a – here, I have the Nice Watch one here uh, that is unopened for a guy who won it uh, on the show. Let's see. It's a total of 40, 50, 60, 70, 90, 100. It's like 130 cards in the Night's Watch. And they changed roughly uh, 8 to like like 8 to 12 on average cards per faction. I mean that means that basically 90% or more of your card pack is still valid. Uh, Not only that, they are providing it all printer-friendly free, all free on the app. They're working on uh, third-party printing sources uh, to get, like, nice versions. So uh, I think CMON has gone above and beyond in that aspect. So I just want to mention that part because, you know, a lot of people were jumping to the conclusion that their card pack, you know, they're spending all this money on a card pack that's obsolete. I'm telling you that even with these changes, you're going to want to go out and buy that card pack if you haven't already. Um, all right, so moving they, on. They they did the math uh, last night. Uh, game-wide, only 7% of the cards changed. And a lot of those were just point values so you're just talking about the back of the card and a little circle that changed so in in reality maybe even less than five percent of actual text got changed it's, it's really small yeah and uh did they do that on stats because i haven't gotten to listen to theirs yet uh no they did it on the on uh, discord for sunday slaughter they they posted the the totals and on all that Okay, nice. Yeah, so definitely don't worry about that. And um, and they said in their uh, um, in the article that uh, pretty much from here on out, it's going to be even smaller updates, uh, similar to when they updated cards for uh, 1.3, 4, 5, and 1.6 back before. Uh, so um, I'm assuming like two cards per faction. You know, and some factions might not even get touched. So definitely, you know, I know a lot of people had, like, the sky is falling. You know, definitely don't worry about that aspect. Um, and the cards even look like even more than it is. Like you were saying, some are just simply a point change and nothing else. And there's a bunch of duplicates, too. For example, we just talked about the guard captain has three cards on there, all the just the different pictures. So, I mean, you really you chop that down to only one card right there. Um making Lannisters only have five, six, seven, and if you combine both front and back of Joffrey, eight total cards. So, all right, so next up we have Boros Blount. He has Vengeance of the Crown. Uh, I believe the only change they made was uh, he is one wound plus one wound for each of uh, this unit's destroyed ranks if you control the crown, rather than... um, one wound for each destroyed rank. Um, am I correct there, guys? I haven't, like, double-checked yep, it. That's, that's yeah, right. that's yep, right. that's it. Okay, so I don't know if he's going to be a top comp- 
contender still for like slots because Lannisters have so many good options, but he is definitely a lot more tempting to take now, in my opinion. Um, Cyrus, what do you think about this guy here? Oh, my boy, Boros Blunt. I'm so excited for him. This is the exact opposite of your reaction. I know I'm going to run this guy because I see him planted in some Lannister Guardsmen, and as you attack them and you wear them down and you're knocking off ranks, he gets stronger. So as their supremacy gets weaker, he's still inflicting more wounds. And when you finally destroy that Lannister Guardsman unit, you take four wounds as your consolation prize. Because people forget when we're dealing with ranks, when you completely destroy a unit, just like with Fueled by Slaughter, that all those ranks count. So plus one, plus the three ranks that are lost, four wounds when you're destroyed. I think he's great, and I'm planning on running him. It's going to be a little bit more difficult now with the Joffrey increase, which we will talk about later. But if you're running just Kingsguard attachments, he's definitely going to be one of them for me. Uh, I think he's good in Pyromancers. I think he's good in Poor Fellows. But I, I, Cyrus, I think if they kill you, his triggers after they attack, and after the attack's completed, he would be dead. So I don't think they'd take four at the last round. Oh, but. I thought, I, okay, maybe they changed his wording, because I could have swore that me, uh, that it, it worked in last edition, but maybe that maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. But I thought that, that he still went off, because it's still, hmm, yeah, maybe you're right. Let me see. After this unit is attacked with a melee attack. Yeah, I think after you're attacked, if you die, after the, it would be, you would be dead after the attack's completed, so it wouldn't go off. But regardless, hmm. okay. I, still, I still see your point with Guardsmen. I, I, I think that they're going to get rid of the ranks to reduce the damage from supremacy, but then they're taking the wounds from, from Boris. So it's, it's a situation kind of similar to the Sworn Shields with the Mormont bet, where it's like, well, you kill me, I, I block. You don't kill me, I block. But this is being damaged. You know, you don't kill me, you don't kill enough ranks, you take nasty supremacy. You do kill enough ranks, you take nasty Boris wounds. Uh, him, similar to the guard captain, though, I think you want to put them in a unit that they want to attack. So I see his strength in poor fellows because people are trying to get rid of poor fellows because they're just a cheap activation battery. So you can sneak in some wounds with Boris Blount. You can, you know, still do your uh, zealous reinforcements and then you can get your ranks back up a little bit and then you can sneak in a couple of precision wounds. Um, so he would work in poor fellows and he would work in pyromancers because you have to get rid of pyromancers. <laughs> you can't really ignore them. So they're going to get punished by Horrific Visage, and then they'll get punished by Boris Blount as well. Did I lose you guys? I'm still here. Okay. Maybe we lost Dave. Sorry. Um, 
No, sorry, I was uh, I was muted. I was just saying that uh, you know I'm excited to see him get that boost because even though it, it is going to be really strong of an effect, um, you know it's still nice to see because uh, you know whenever I was making a list that included a bunch of Kingsguard attachments just to kind of have that theme going, he was almost I I would always open him up like uh, on the app to just glance at his ability from time to time, but I would almost always just kind of bypass him and he would, he would kind of be a, you wouldn't even be like a second thought. And then I'd go on to the other Kings guard. Now, uh, I think he's definitely in the running of the pack. Um, when it comes to Kings guard, just, you know, of course, depends what you're looking and want to do because all the Kings guard kind of have their own niche, um, and combos with units. So, um, all right, so next up we have Joffrey Baratheon. He changed in ability and in points. So he went from four points to five points. And uh, the long or the short of what changed for him is he just lost the whole panic uh, token effect part. All of that's gone. It's just now simply if he's on the board, you get the crown, and he has this influence for plus one wound. Uh, I think he's better than before. Uh, I know it's a whole nother point, but I think now that the whole panic token part is gone, I think he's just simply better. Um, uh, I think it opens him up for more builds because I know a lot of times when I would run him, I almost would feel like I'd want to run a, a good amount of high morale or decent morale units to combat the token. Um, I know a lot of times you could take the wealth and get rid of it or take the crown and just not have it placed, but um, I think it provides a lot more flexibility this way, which in my opinion makes them stronger. Um, the point increase I think was needed, uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm excited to kind of see what he kind of does to, you know, the list building for Barath or Baratheons uh, to Lannisters. I'm sitting here looking at his name. Um, Cyrus, what do you think? I think that the change is fair. It is nice that uh, he no longer panics your own units. It would never fail if you're trying to run Guardsmen or Mountainsmen or any other poor morale unit. They would always be targeted down by those panic tokens. And uh, you, you'd have to weigh do I want to take a zone that's not the crown and panic my own unit or just take the crown and just kind of take a uh, kind of an even exchange of just, you know, being on the crown anyway. Uh, it, it does sting a little bit that he went to five, but I think that this version of Joffrey is probably fair. You're still getting the influence effect of an additional wound. Uh, so I, I think he's okay, although it does bring – uh, a choice in your option of whether you're going, if you're running a crown dependent list, if you're going to spend the extra point to get Joffrey or just try to use Peter to help, uh, help you with your crown zone control. So the, the choice is still there. If you want it, if you want to try to play the tactics board game with Peter, go with that and you get to save a point. If you don't, you can go with Joffrey. So I, I, I think it's fair. It just stings a little bit. How about you, Brett? Be muted.
right, so um, the designer notes on Joffrey is, you know, they wanted to increase him to five, but they just felt that being forced to pay five points for an NCU that had drawbacks just seemed like a little too much. Uh, so as a compromise, they increased his points and took away the drawback. Um, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think it's, it's just straight up more fair, more flexible, and it's um, it may seem a little less thematic that you don't have that panic token going out there, but, I mean, I can live with that. Um, I think he is still arguably, because uh, I know we did, like, the ranking of NCUs uh, on Sunday Slaughter's podcast a while back, and I, I would still say that it's a very high potential that he is still S-tier. Um, now, time will tell. That That's just kind of a prediction. Um, I could definitely be wrong, but I would say at minimum he's still A-tier. Uh, so we'll see uh, see how that shapes up. Uh, let me see what... Um, Brett uh, says that I muted him. No, sorry, buddy. You're uh, not muted. <laughs> um, Brett's having all sorts of troubles today. Uh, here, let me uh, try muting you and unmuting you. Uh, another designer note um, while we figure that out. Um, so for the guard captain, it says Iron Resolve wasn't proving to add enough incentives overall Lannister army, leading to the guard captain being a rather low inclusion. The ability has been replaced with the new order, hold the line, uh, I mean, causing damage through attrition. So, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, I think maybe it's just the amount of hits might be a little too much. Maybe like one plus one for every remaining rank would be a little more. Because five hits on a unit that only has like a five-up save or a six-up save, that's a lot. I mean, that's that's an attack, uh, that's, you know, in itself. You know, it, I mean, granted, it doesn't cause a panic test, but um, you really are going to push through a lot. Uh, and if, if they have uh, lowish armor, I mean, that's that that could be a rank. I mean, uh, when you're talking about five hits into five or six armor, that's probably a rank gone, which is just terrific. Uh, one thing that I did want to say real quick on the guard captain is that, that there is a little bit of balance with, uh, with the order itself being an on-activation order. I previously have hated on-activation orders because – you can only activate a unit once. So it being an order kind of doesn't make sense because you can only use orders once. You can only activate once. Maybe it doesn't need to be an order. But what it does is it does uh, conflict with timing on other effects. So you can't stack up a bunch of activation effects. Uh, I didn't like that when it conflicts when you're dealing with Tywin and his threaten with issue commands. Like you can't issue commands and threaten on activation because they overlap. But in this situation, it's a good thing. So there is just a little bit of, of balancing there uh, with that uh, trigger. And then on Boris Blunt, real quick, I think I was confusing other effects that allowed you to do things when that thing was killed, like uh, the old guard go captain. Go down fighting. Kill, yeah, uh, yeah, go down fighting, or when you could kill the old guard captain and still pass your panic test and make them take supremacy. 
And then, like, Counter-Strike, like, Asha's Counter-Strike, if she dies, you still get Counter-Strike because it happened before. But Boros's wording is right in that if you're if the trigger is after the effect is complete, he is dead. So I was wrong. All right, and I know you got to go very shortly, so I'm going to lead with the units of uh, the controversial, at least for me, um, ability that was uh, changed, and that's for the Knights of the Castle Rock. Um, I believe nothing changed except for Lance. A Lance is now, instead of uh, plus one auto hit for every remaining rank, they are now plus two attack dice for every remaining rank. Um, I'm worried about this ability simply because, uh, uh, let's say, for example, knights, if they charge you uh, with no other effects, they have uh, ten dice hitting on threes with rerolls and sundering. Uh, I think it's just bringing... The ability just brings too much of a one-shot back into the game. And I know personally, my wife being one of them, uh, three people that have stopped playing the game because of or because of what 1.6 used to have with one shotting, and you know, my wife uh, ever since 1.6 has played a couple games and she's liked it, and she does like the fact that uh, um, you know one shotting is super rare now. Uh, but um, this, I think, is a super scary for me because you know it's like the number one most unenjoyable thing about the game is when you have a unit that hasn't done anything, just get charged and is dead. Uh, and 10 dice is a lot of dice to give something uh, without any like extra effects. All they have to do is charge you. And, uh, and then let's just say one combo with it, just get a vulnerable on that unit. You know, it's just basically charging with a knight unit and have a vulnerable uh, which is not hard with Warcry or just other effects. And, yeah, it's it's going to be pretty scary. And they still have attrition when in combat because they still retain that sundering all the time. All right. With that said, um, <laughs> and I hope I'm wrong. I, I definitely hope I'm wrong. Um, I'm just, this is the number one thing of the entire update that completely worries me. Um, what do you think, Cyrus? So are they scary? Yeah, but I think they're supposed to be. Point unit, and they are heavy cavalry, and I think they're supposed to hit hard, and that is their purpose. The When you think about being at full ranks, gaining plus four dice is not a whole lot better than two free hits because those dice can be manipulated. You could be weakened. You could be charging through hindering terrain. You could miss those. But when you're, we were getting two free hits, those were not interactable. They just were hits that you got. Now, one of the early combos that I thought about when I saw these guys is running them with Dario Commander and getting Reckless Strikes and getting Critical Blowback. That is scary. I will absolutely agree. But that is one commander that is not necessarily ideal to run with the Lannisters. Uh, Gregor Kilgain is... But he's kind of struggling right now, but imagining overrun on these guys and being able to throw all those dice potentially twice in a row is really, really good. But, again, Gregor Kulain is not a top Lannister commander. Offensive commanders have been struggling for a long time. Uh, 
another way of getting those tokens is maybe running them with Tywin Commander. Uh, but you see in all these instances, we're talking about combining them with a tactics card. And if you're relying on a tactics card to be able to push through the, that final bit of, of efficacy out of your unit, it's hit and miss because you might not draw that card. So I, I agree with you. Yeah, these knights are looking terrific. I'm very excited. I think between the knights and the new mountains men, I think they're actually going to help keep Lannisters competitive with some of the other top factions at the game. I mentioned it, Targaryen, Free Folk, Greyjoys. Uh, the, these guys are going to be how Lannisters stay in it, and uh, which is surprising if you think about it, because hardly anybody ran Knights of Castle Rock before, hardly anybody ever ran Mountains Men before. But now between those two units and the buffs those two units got, they're they're going to help keep Lannisters competitive. So I, I'm I, I acknowledge that they do look scary, but I'm not sure they're as scary as we think that they are because I don't think you're going to always hit all 10 hits. I think you're probably going to come up short on at least one or two, even with rerolls. I've, I've had some bad dice before where if my bad dice go into, into this attack, I might actually only hit five. So it, uh, uh, because they're not automatic hits and they're still dice, they can be manipulated either positively with critical blow or negatively with weakened tokens or hindering terrain. So I think they're okay. Until you play, you will obey me and have 12 dice, and then you hit with all of them. <laughs> you double I mean, up so on this. <laughs> imagine the cojones that you would have to have to potentially play uh, Price of Failure on them if, you're, if you are losing your rerolls and you're trying to hit, like, skirmishers or something, uh, and you end up missing, like, six of your hits and you have to take six wounds. So yeah, uh, you will obey me as a really strong card. I still don't think Joffrey commander is going to be played very much because uh, there's still his, his significant drawbacks and his cards are not nearly as good as they used to be, but you will obey me getting you 12 dice. Yeah. But then again, you're still talking about dice. They can miss and you're losing your sundering bonus on top of that. You're still probably preferring to play. You will obey me on flayed men. So and it's it's still no longer, uh, yeah, played men are these the 100% best option to, to go with. Now you definitely still are choosing between what, whether you want played men or Knights of Castle Rock, and now Knights of Castle Rock are keeping up on that damage potential with played men. So I'm I'm good with it. I like the change, and uh, I liked Knights of Castle Rock before. I like them even more now. Uh, one uh, off off-topic, uh, at least for the update, that got, I guess, I mean, it's still part of the update. One boost that uh, Joffrey got is no longer is he, like, uh, no longer is he unplayable in Clash of Kings. Uh, Clash of Kings did take away the stipulation that the first time a commander is destroyed, you get plus two victory points. So no longer will Joffrey give up five victory points when he dies. He'll only <laughs> give up the three. Yeah. Um so that is an upside because I know, like, I first uh, tournament I ran Lannisters in a local tournament, we rolled Clash of Kings, and I'm like, great. Well, I guess I only have one list to choose from. Um, anyway, right. so Brett, what's your what's your uh, thoughts on Lance? I I, I think I think you're overreacting. Um, 
<laughs> I did the math. I did the math earlier, and then I forgot exactly what it was. But with the old rule, with the two extra hits, when you charge with rerolls, it was something like seven point three hits on average, something like that. With the new lance on the charge with rerolls, it's like eight point six or something. But if you add a weakened in, it's actually worse with the new rules. And then when you add things like hindering terrain and stuff like that and minus ones to hit, it's worse with the new rules. So I know you look at the 10 dice and it's super scary because you remember when all 10 hit. But realistically, I think a lot of times people are going to be a little bit sad. They're going to charge with 10 dice. The unit's going to have like seven wounds left or something. It's going to be a five-plus defense unit. They're vulnerable. You're like, yeah, I'm going to kill them. And then dice just do dice things and you hit like six times and you're like, Oh, this is sad. Um, but we can token <laughs> and I get it. I think the bigger concern, if, if you're going to be concerned about Lance, which I'm really not, I'm of the opinion that Lance Cavalry should do. Like, you should get hit with Lance Cavalry, and it should be like you got hit by a Mack truck because that's what Lance Cavalry does. And that's what has to happen if Lance Cavalry is ever going to replace Slade. Uh, Slademan didn't get any changes, so they're competing directly with Slademan for every faction that has access to Landcast. Um, that said, um, Lance Cavalry scares me more with Stark. You have Great John Umber adding up to four wounds from the Lance Cavalry charge. You have Catelyn, who's already very popular. She's removing the weakened token that you place on them. Not every faction has a high cell. Not everybody can just... You know, I'll go to the letters, put a weekend on you, cast them and remove it, great. I'll activate my cell and put a weekend token on you. Not everybody can do that. I think Cully Cavaliers, thank God Aria works on infantry only. <laughs> you know, like, it's a really <laughs> good thing. Um, but I just think it's, I think it's, it's a little bit of an overreaction. And it's not just you. There's a lot of people concerned about Lance. But if you think about it, even now with this change with the 10 dice and everything, um, we navigated through Spearwives, influenced by Steyr, and with a raid leader in the mix, Spearwives, with their old coordinated assault, actually charged harder than Landcap. And, yeah, Freefolk killed a lot of stuff. Spearwives killed a lot of stuff. But th this was a five-point unit. There's a pretty big opportunity cost paying eight points for Knights, Castle, Rock, or Tully Cat. And as, uh, as far as the... Um, High Garden Riders go when they come out. They're they hit on force, so it's not that bad. So assuming I do want to go on the record. Assuming they come out at least. Yeah, I do want to go on the record to say that I definitely agree. Like uh, Spearwise being able to do the damage output they do is a little crazy, but I want to go on the record to say I think they should just get uh, rid of all of the effects that let you uh, charge and retreat and then shoot or move and then shoot and then charge. Like anything that allows you to do two attacks consecutively with a combo without any effects outside of just your card or your unit doing that, I think that's just too much. Uh, it doesn't give the player, the, the, the defending player, a chance to recover. It's just attack tests, you know, and too much can happen. You know, that's Ranger Hunters, that's Spearwives, that's the Thraki Veterans. I, I would much rather see them get a boost in some other direction than just double attack. Um, it just provides too much of a, of a um, swing in things uh, from stuff like that. 
but that's just um you know i just wanted to go on record to say i agree with like the spear wife thing and i think if like that change happened to just all units that had that sort of effect then we wouldn't even have to uh entertain the idea of spear wives uh competing uh damage output wise with uh with lance cav but yeah i i definitely hope you guys are right um I'm definitely going to be playing full swing with all these updates and, you know, going going right into it. It's not going to be one of those things where even though I'm dreading Lance that I'm like, hey, guys, can you mind not playing Lance? You know, it's going to, it's just going to be, hey, play what you want. Let's, let's get some games in. Let's just, you know, trial and error, see how things go. And, again, I think Simon, if I am right and Lance ends up being way too good, They'll change it, you know, when they feel that it needs changing. And if not, and if I'm wrong, then awesome. I feel like um, either way, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, next up, we have House Clegane Mountainsmen. Um, uh, I think we actually already talked about these guys. We did an update, um, so we will skip them. Uh, I will just kind of say that these guys are amazing, uh, and I am super excited. They were my favorite uh, Lannister unit to run, and when they changed them, I was super sad face, and now the new change has made me uh, no longer regretting owning six units of them. So, uh, <laughs> next up, <laughs> uh, granted, I own hey, six uh, units of them. Cause real quick, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I have a couple minutes left, so if you don't mind, could I hammer through some quick thoughts on, on the remaining ones real quick? Yeah, the crosswomen, red cloaks, and four fellows. Go ahead, fire them away. Yep. Okay. Sorry, uh, but yeah, crossbows, great. Definitely going to start be, uh, running crossbows again. Uh, I'd love to run brawn in them and do what lightbringers do and be able to get free armor on a ranged unit <laughs> like like the Baratheon lightbringers. That's that's very exciting to me. Uh, red cloaks going to four plus to hit kind of hurts. I'm going to affectionately call this the Simon double tap. When they're nerfing something, they tended to do uh, to do two hits on them. Uh, they did that with Ghost in, I think, 1.4, 1.5, when he was hitting with four dice with no defense saves when he was getting Sword in the Darkness. And instead of changing one thing, like removing his no defense saves or removing him taking vows, they did both. So uh, when we're dealing with the problem of red cloaks, instead of changing just red cloaks or changing their reliable crown uh, uh, support, they did. They changed both. It, it kind of stings, so you're probably not going to be seeing too many red cloaks, but if you really want to get that ranged panic damage, you probably could still run them in certain lists. Uh, poor Fellows, again, hurts quite a bit. Uh, we have established that cheap, uh, good, cheap infantry units are kind of a bad thing, except if you're Greyjoys. So... <laughs> Yeah, the poor fellows okay, uh, prob probably going to be seeing uh, poor fellows still in faithless, probably a home for the High Sparrow to knock them back down to five morale and being able to run a couple uh, of uh, warrior sons. But, uh, yeah, that's that's probably the only place that you're going to be seeing poor fellows for a while because, yeah, their whole thing about being faith and having good morale is now gone, which is kind of confusing to me. But anyway, those are my final uh, thoughts on them. I'm, I, I, we had talked about it before about Lannisters being probably the most balanced faction in the game even prior to this update, and you could just look at this update and see five buffs and four nerfs still pretty balanced when you're thinking about it. So as a player that's been playing Lannisters for the past year, 
I think I'm happy with where the faction is right now. I think that you're going to have to start thinking a little bit outside of the box when you're list building. Uh, you're not going to be able to rely on the old tricks that got us through for the past several months, but there's still some really good list potential. But anyway, I got to go, guys. Thanks for having me on, and I will catch you all later. Thank you. All right. So um, he pointed out something I did not even realize, um, and that's the Lannister Crosswoman getting a four-up save. Uh, and, uh, Brett, did they get a better morale? Because I know they used to be an eight a long time ago. Uh, I don't know if maybe they changed to a seven just now, or did they do that a while back? Uh, I think the Crosswoman were a morale eight since um, since 2021 update. I've got the app, which is outdated. They were seven plus before. Yeah. So, okay. They did, get a, so, they did get bumped up four plus defense this patch, which I, mean, I guess it makes sense. They're Lannisters. If you look at the sculpt, they're wearing a pretty decent breastplate. Um, but I think the idea is that they're they're Lannisters in their little fluff article. They discuss how the Lannisters have the money to pay for armor and they have the gold to pay for nice crossbows and stuff. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it's a great trade-off because um, you know a lot of people like to compare you know cross faction and to similar-ish uh, units. So like these guys compared to Night's Watch crossbowmen, you know they were just straight up like oh well they're like worse in every way. Well now that uh, you know now that they have that fort uh, armor, I think uh, it's something, and they're a point cheaper. Uh, so. I like it a lot. I think these guys, I already kind of liked them before, even though they weren't like the best range unit out there, and a lot of people just would rather take Stormcrow archers. But definitely now, uh, hitting on three is huge. And then that four-up armor, you'd be surprised, uh, especially even in uh, a game mode like, uh, um, uh, I keep wanting to call it, hon- uh, yeah, honed and ready. Uh, I kept wanting to say, here we stand. But honed and ready with the walls shooting at you, if you can get this unit on that one of those objectives and screen them so that uh, no one's going to ch- be able to charge into them, but they're going to keep getting arrows rained down on them every time they score, that four-up armor is going to make a difference. Uh, that and the objective, the side objectives are close enough together that you're going to be able to shoot at the opposing objective unit. Um, so, yeah, I, I think these guys have a lot of potential now. Um, all right. Now on to the two two units that were considered ridic- ridic- ridiculously good. Sorry, guys. Um, and that's Red Cloaked and Poor Fellows. Uh, I think uh, we'll start with Red Cloaks. Um, so I think, you know, reducing the attack profile was something I would have much rather have seen uh, Lannister justice change somehow. I don't know how to be totally honest. Like there's a bajillion ways you could have changed it and kept it thematic. Um, but I think that is like the main thing that I would have loved to have seen change. To them hitting on threes, even if they're a six point unit, we're seeing plenty of six point units still uh, hit on threes. That I would have been okay with them hitting on threes if we just changed Lannister Justice. You could even have made it like an order or something that way you're only doing it once or I don't know something. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, I think it is still something that they changed to a four up to hit. Uh, and both their abilities are uh, now behind a 
Um, I mean, they always were, but just saying that now their uh, attack profile is like average, um, and their uh, both abilities require zones, and Joffrey being five points now. Um, you know, that's I think it's still a step in the right direction, and I'm excited uh, because the the sculpts are beautiful. What do you think, Brett? Uh, I think if I was running them, I'd be running Baelish instead of Joffrey. Um, I think, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with what Cyrus said. I think it's a case of a of the double tap. Um, I personally didn't run a whole lot of red cloaks before. They are good. They're not exactly reliable. Um, I ran them with Gregor and then another unit with Sandor, and yeah, they're good, but um, they weren't exactly like beating the world down. Um, that said, eh, probably just the Joffrey change could have been enough. Maybe not. Um, I don't really know. Maybe, I, I, I might be a little biased. Um, I think they're fair. I might just be, you know, mentally trying to justify to myself because I own them. I've, I haven't, I unboxed them last week for the first time. I just play a little local game with a newer player. Uh, I ran kind of a janky list, and I just put Gregor in them instead of Halberds. But um, that said, I ran them a couple of times on TTS. I just didn't love them. So it could be the case where my mind is justifying it to me like oh well they just got so nerfed that they're not playable because i didn't really play them before they're probably still good um it's just that 11 points i think if you kind of go all in with joffrey you're going all in with king's guard attachments and at least one unit of red cloaks and i, I think then that's fine you know you're buying joffrey so squeeze sell me in there squeeze uh Aris okard in there squeeze Boris blown in there something like this and then you're, you're going to run some red cloaks. And I think they're probably fine. With Mand and Moore, and you're running Joffrey, that, that whole combo there is 12 points. But just like I say when I criticize other factions, um, it's not completely 12 points. It's more you're, you're running an NCU anyway, so you don't count Joffrey as the whole five points. You count him as like two points or something. Or if you want to go the route of one extra point because all NCUs start at four. Um, there's probably still play for them. It's just I just don't think they're for me. I don't see myself squeezing them into a list at all for, for Lannisters. So it's a little bit sad because I really like the sculpts, but I just I don't think I will run them. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, I can see that. Um, all right, now poor fellows, uh, to wrap up the Lannister faction, I am... I, I'm going to kind of use your guys' phrase, the kind of the double, double tap, you know, reducing the amount that they heal and uh, taking the morale all the way to a six, I think might have been a little much. Granted, we are talking about a four-point unit here. Um, so, uh, and with one of the, you know, most annoying combos, uh, which was just throwing a, a champion of the face in there. Uh, and maybe that's why the morale had to go to a six, to kind of mirror that uh, the um, uh, she bears having a six with uh, Warcry already attached to them, um, and I I don't know it's it's a tough decision you know uh, balancing all this stuff is not as easy as it sounds you know it's it's a balancing act you change one thing another thing becomes too good and and so on and so forth uh, or something becomes obsolete so it's it's hard to say um, 
but because uh, I can see a lot of people's arguments that you know these guys just aren't very good anymore, um, even at four points and this and that. But again, you have to remember it's a four-point unit, um, and they have the ability to self-heal, the ability for rerolls and precision. I think they still have a place even outside of a faith list. Maybe not like two of, you know, because I know a lot of lists would run like two of with two champions of the faith, get some cheap stuff in there with a lot of support. But I still think like one unit in non-faith lists will still help you free up those points, especially if you want to get Joffrey in there. Um, what do you think, Brett? Uh, yeah, I actually think they're fair now. Give me just one second. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I think they... Um, you know, they still start with that faith token. So again, you're going to get the, if you can reliably get a faith token on them, um, you know, it's, it's really going to drive up, uh, you know, their value. Granted, the only, I guess, reliable way was a champion of the faith. And now that you're only a little above average for, uh, um, you're only a little bit above average for uh, passing that um, that uh, war cry. It would be kind of cool to see, um, I don't know, uh, some other way for them to generate those. Because them now that their heal is not as potent, it's not as big of a deal if they're able to generate a bunch of faith tokens to constantly get these effects. Um, but... I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm, I'm still excited to kind of play them to see how they are because I always felt bad running them um, because of how good they were uh, because the obvious choice was always the champion of faith in there and then you just, you know, the enemy had their whole army panicked and vulnerable by the, like, basically the start of round two. Um, so, oh, it'll be interesting. I think it's a uh, Better than it was before. I'll put it that way. Even if it not better in, the, I think better for the game, not necessarily better for the unit, but better for the game the way it is now. Um, but we'll have to see if they still have like a place in non-faithless. Now, I think I think they're definitely fair, um, and this is coming from you know I want to be, you know, maining Lannister and Night's Watch. So if my opinion is biased at all, you know, it would be biased in favor of those two factions. I think that I think they're fair. They were ridiculous before. Um, it wasn't just the constant faith token generation and the war cry. They were just so tanky for four points. Like playing against them was really frustrating because they're kind of the easiest unit to get rid of to an extent. You want to drop the Lannister activation advantage. You know, you want to score victory points where you can. But going into them often it was just like the biggest mistake you could ever do so you you just get stuck and you would get stuck way longer than you probably should have fighting a four-point unit and then there was always the chance for those precision spikes now it didn't happen all the time but it was such a feel bad when they would spike like three sixes on you and it's like man i, I sent my eight-point unit into a four-point unit they lived then they started healing then they tanked my eight-point unit for, like, three rounds. And then by the end of it, because they spiked, you know, precision so many times, my eight-point unit is down to one rank. And that's just not the way that it should work. An eight-point unit going charging a four-point unit, it should be over 
pretty quickly for the four-point unit because the eight-point unit not only has to be able to kill the four-point unit, they have to be able to do it, like, in a fast manner because you're you're taking into consideration that the four-point units, two of them, bring more wounds and a, a second activation. So they've got to be that much worse than an eight-point unit. So I'm happy with it, and I, I think it's fair. Um, it also makes me as a Lannister, fa- Lannister player feel less obligated to always take poor fellow with champion of faith. It's just like in the in the former version of 2021 prior to this patch, it was basically it was like mandatory. And I don't want to say mandatory because <laughs> I really don't like that like, word, but it almost was. It was like if you didn't it was have like the one block. poor fellow. Yeah, if you didn't have one poor champion of faith, your list was probably at a disadvantage. Even if you had like if you spent that one point and took off the champion of faith and you added something cool, like you were at a disadvantage because you weren't getting the most out of your flayed men and things like this. And I feel good that that isn't the case anymore because at six morale, you've got a really good chance to fail that war cry. And not only that, but now opponents can go into poor fellows and feel like they've got a chance to get rid of them. You're adding vicious to your attacks. You're better than 50% to make them fail panic. You can put some resources into it and really take these guys out quick. And it's fair. And I think they still have a place because they are 12 wounds and four points. You can still bring a poor fellow or two to leverage out your strong units. You know, you can still get to eight activations with double knights. You can run double knights, solo Gregor, two poor fellow, three NCU, or three poor fellow, two NCU, however you want to do it. And now you've got some activation advantage where you can leverage those knights castle rock. Um, that's the important thing. Um, and so they'll still be used. They'll just die easier. And that's fair. Four-point units should be so tanky. I'm happy with it overall, for both for the opponents of Lannisters and for Lannister players. I think we've got to be humble enough to understand that that change had to happen. Well, and I also want to mention, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, they're supposed to be the face and their morale is a six, which is it's like the average morale, um, we'll say, even though like average on dice would make it uh, would be a seven. Um, but let's put it this way. Let's take uh, um, any unit, pretty much strip away all of their armor, give them just T-shirts and some makeshift spears and let's see what their morale would turn into you know (laughs) let's take some sworn swords take away all their armor put them in t-shirts and some makeshift spears i'm sure their six up morale wouldn't be six up anymore i'm pretty sure they'd be a lot more scared going into battle so i think uh if you want to make like some justification why their morale is a six and not something higher let's just say that a six up morale for a unit in t-shirts is uh pretty high uh so (laughs) Um, all right, so we're going to jump into Baratheons, and we are running a little behind on schedule, so we, I'm going to throw in a curveball here. If Baratheons take a little longer than needed, and I don't want to feel rushed to go through Starks, we might end up just doing um, uh, neutrals in the place of Starks, because neutrals only have a couple changes, where Starks is a pretty big uh, group. So, um, but... The plan is still Starks. It just depends how quickly we can get through Baratheons here. But with that said, we do have a caller, uh, and I appreciate you calling in. I believe he's also the gaming group uh, that Cyrus is a part of. Um, And I apologize. I have forgotten your name. Oh, no, that's totally fine. Um, My name's Kurt. 
I go by Belisarius on the Discord and on that. Um, and I've been a long time uh, Baratheon fan. Um, Stannis was the guy. Loved him in the books. Still do. So happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. And so we're going to start off strong here with uh, the Red Priestess. Um, a lot of people not too like excited about her. Uh, I like her a lot personally. Um, I think you just need to try to find some ways to add some healing in there. But uh, the Red Priestess is now uh, each time for ranged and melee, melee for each time this uh, unit attacks before rolling attack dice it may upper, uh, suffer up to two wounds. If it does for each wound suffered the defender becomes panicked or vulnerable. Um, I, I like it a lot. Um, I I am a little sad to see the panic test part go. Um, it would have been nice for something to self-trigger, uh, so let's say the faithful's faith uh, mechanic. Um, but uh, but I kind of like this. I like the, the flexibility of it. Um, one wound for one token uh, is a very fair trade because often that token is going to um, net you way more than that one wound. Um, and because, again, it's flexible. So if you're shooting into a unit that you know a panic token is not going to mean much of anything or a vulnerable token is not going to mean much of anything, then you just you choose the other one or you just choose none. Um, was it the best uh, change they could have made it to? Uh, probably not, but it's still a plus in my book. Uh, Brett, we'll start with you first. What do you, what's your opinion here? Uh, I'm kind of with you. It's it's not that it's bad. Overall, it's pretty good. Condition tokens are a big part of this game. Um, in my opinion, what sets this game apart from other war games and makes it function so well and, and work the way that it works would be the tactics board, condition tokens, and tactics cards. They're huge. You know, I find myself going back, and every once in a while I'll play a pickup game of uh, Ninth Age, which is essentially Warhammer Fantasy, and I get some of the rules, like, kind of mixed up. And I find myself, when I'm playing Ninth Age, thinking, like, man, it'd be really cool to get re-rolls on this charge. Man, it'd be super <laughs> cool if I could make this unit re-roll their defensive save. Um, you know, and I, there might be magic to do that, I guess. But at any rate, my point being, condition tokens are a huge part of the game. They're a big difference maker. Um, it can be the difference in, you know, crazy dice standing or crazy dice like, I bet you can't do it again. <laughs> like, it's really important because crazy <laughs> dice do happen. You have to take that into account when you when you choose to make a play. It's so much less comfortable charging a unit with, like, six wounds left that you're knocking to a six-plus save if you have a vulnerable token. If you don't have a vulnerable token and it means you're getting, like, rear-charged by something nasty, if they live, it's like, eh, but dice do dice things. I know I have eight dice, potentially re-rolls, but you really want that vulnerable token to make sure. So in a lot of instances, the tokens are really important. In this case, I think, well, where am I putting a red priestess? And it's like light bringers would be cool, uh, but maybe I would rather have Davos. Maybe I would rather have bronze. Um, wardens just to be a red priestess caddy. No, I probably would take hold the line if I have one point. So I, I think it's not that she's bad. 
she's just in a weird spot with the attachments because I also think if I'm looking into attachments now, because Delise and Shireen are so good, I'm trying to find any possible way to squeeze a stagnite noble in so that I can get that double stubborn tenacity. And I think that's just basically where, where they stand. Um, they're good, but there's just other attachments like the master wardens that are, you know, you're just squeezing that attachment in instead. So I can see a world where maybe now Mercs with a red priestess, like, could be interesting, but they'd have to be engaged, and I'm not so sure that Mercs really want to be engaged for too long. So for me, the red priestess is like, um, maybe the OG, very original version was the best. I mean, Warcry does exist. She's really not that much better than Warcry, other than the fact that Warcry is an order and she isn't. So bastard girls with red priestess were pretty ridiculous, but eh, I don't know. Um, I'm not a Baratheon main, so I'm kind of just from the outside looking in. I'm on the fence. I just don't know that it's enough to push her into this. Maybe with Melisandre, but yeah, I think uh, she might still have a place in like Bastards Girls because what you can do is you can take two wounds to make the uh, enemy panicked vulnerable, use that vulnerable right away on the shot, uh, and then potentially use the panic, charge in, they become vulnerable again because of the shot, and then now you only have to use um, one or zero uh, uh, wounds in order to make them panicked again if, they're, if, you, did, if you did use it on the shot. And uh, now, at most, you're only taking three wounds, uh, two initially and then possibly one on a charge. And then now for both attacks, they're panicked vulnerable, um, and that could drive home the, the shoot-charge combo. Um, but, you know, uh, definitely something to try. Kurt, uh, what's your thoughts on the Red Priestess here? I think I'm a lot higher on her than a lot of other people are. Um, you took the words right out of my mouth about the Bolton's Bastards Girl synergy. Um, I think the big thing, and this kind of goes back to what Simon said previously about Lannister Guard Captains, you don't want one attachment stapled to one unit. And I think before, back when Red Priestesses had the, the panic check, that there was really only one unit that they really worked on great, and that was the Faithful. None of the other Baratheon units have great morale they have okay morale they're usually averaging around six none of them wanted to be taking extra panic tests if they don't have to especially against lancer players who could have a hear me roar up their sleeve so this change allows the red priestess flexibility to go to other units and not just be just for faithful so bastards girls are a great fit Lightbringers come to mind as a great option you could stick them on sentinels if you want I think this gives the Priestess a lot more versatility than she previously had. And you also touched on um, the tokens that you hand out. You don't have to do both. So you can pick and choose if you don't want to give up two wounds, if you only need the vulnerable or if you only need the panicked, whatever the situation calls for, flexibility in and of itself has value. Yeah, and, you know, Granted, it has to be uh, an attack, so, I mean, you could do, like, long range, but it's not like, uh, you know, War Cry or um, uh, Mark Target, things that just, like, start a turn or when you activate or whatever, you just pick a unit within long and throw it on there. Uh, those, much different. Um, 
Whereas this one, because it's tied to an attack, even if it does give it to a, a long range, uh, if your unit has that, it's still a nice thing that it's only one point. Uh, especially if, let's say you don't even really plan to get the panic, and you just want to run her and run like a bunch of her even, like you were saying, now she's a lot more dynamic going in a bunch of different units, and now you can pretty much on demand uh, make everything vulnerable all the time at the cost of just one wound. Um, or panicked, uh, or, or both. You know, it just it provides a lot of flexibility. So um, I'm excited to kind of see what happens with the Red Priestess. Uh, all right, next up we have the Master Warden. Uh, he has changed to hold the line. Uh, so same as the Guard Captain, Lannister Guard Captain. So when the, this unit activates, target one enemy engaged with the unit suffers two hits, plus one hit for each of the this unit's remaining ranks. And so I know there's a lot of synergy here with the Baratheon Wardens, but I just want to throw it out there. I am the most excited about running this guy in the uh, Rolor Faithful. Um, At full ranks, when you activate, your opponent's going to take four hits. Or sorry, uh, five hits. If they take a rank off of you, they're going to take four hits, uh, when you activate, but also if you expend a faith token, they're going to take three hits. And then if you're at last rank, they're going to take three hits from when you activate and six hits if you expend a faith token. It's, you know, granted if they're like a three-up uh, armor, you know, the, a lot of it's going to bounce off. But if they're a, a four-up, but heck, even a five or a six-up save, I mean, you're going to be pinging so many wounds off with all of these auto-hits and they still get to attack you. So that's the number one combo I'm excited to try, especially because Rolor Faithful are arguably one of the my absolute favorite sculpts in the entire game, um, and one of uh, and arguably my favorite Baratheon unit uh, to play. Uh, Kurt, we'll start with you on this one. What's your opinion on Hold the Line for Baratheons? Well, it's always hard to say definitively how something will perform until you've actually gotten it on the table. I'm going to be getting my first games in this evening um, post-update. So I have to reserve, like, some judgments. I can't say, like, it's the greatest thing ever or it's terrible. Um, I'm excited for it personally. I want to stick it in every melee unit I can. Um, But, you know, it's it's going to be difficult to say until I've actually gotten to try it. Uh, Carlo on stats actually mentioned, uh, touched on this a little bit, and – you have to, there is, you know, it seems strong, but there is some give and take there. You have to be engaged when you activate for it to have any use. An opponent that's got more speed than you could try to avoid being engaged with you, could try to, um, you know, try to run away from you. But uh, if you can get in a position where you start engaged without having activated yet, so like Sentinel comes to mind on your Sentinels, I think this attachment could really shine there because that way you could still get in without having yet engaged to still trigger this order. Yeah, I, there's definitely, I think you make a great point that uh, um, obviously like you're saying Carlo made is that you can definitely get around this ability with some clever uh, tactics. uh, And I think that might be, kind of its uh its downside to why it's probably so strong uh brett do you i know we kind of already talked about hold the line in general but what's your kind of thoughts in particular with this in baratheons 
Uh, I, I agree with you. I think in the world we're faithful, it's really, really, really gross. It's really nasty. Um, the other unit, I mean, obviously besides Wardens, because you want to ramp up their offensive output because their actual attack profile is abysmal. It's Raiders. <laughs> so um, you want <laughs> the whole the line to work with Counter-Strike. Uh, that ends up being a lot of auto hits. But the other unit I think uh, that is a really, really nice fit is Sentinel because you have the Sentinel order. So um, getting the most out of Sentinels requires some nice positioning and leveraging a unit that your opponent can't really ignore. I think that unit could be Lightbringers. Um, they have to go after them, particularly if they are a faction with bad morale and that panic splash damage is just destroying them. They're going to go get rid of those archers. You can set up a nice countercharge with the Sentinel, um, and then once you activate, you will hold the line. And so potentially you could do a charge, and you get seven dice with reroll thundering, activate, hold the line, do however many hits you have, then attack again. It's going to be pretty hard for stuff that's average to live through that. And so that could be a pretty cool combo. Even if it's not in their flank, even if you take it to their front, it's still a pretty nice combo. So um, it is seven points. Uh, the points really start to add up quickly. Um, particularly with Baratheons, because they don't have four-point units to just run around in caddy attachments. They have DSN, but that's obviously you can't put an attachment there. So I like the synergy with Relore Faithful, and I like the synergy with Sentinel. All right, moving on. We'll Next we'll do Axel Florence. Um, I think I'm going to go, go ahead and say he's more of a lateral change the fact that he has two um, abilities that both trigger uh, at the same time and are not tied to zones, super good. Um, it, he is now, uh, when influencing a combat unit, uh, when influencing an enemy, each time they fail a panic test, they become weakened. And when influencing that enemy, um, if they're engaged with a R'hllor unit, they suffer one extra wound when failing a panic test. So I guess sort of a stipulation, not related to the tactics board, but having a reward unit engage with the uh, enemy. But um, before, he he still kind of had that plus one wound um, if you had the crown. But the big part why I say this is a lateral change is if you control uh, before, uh, if you controlled the letter, um, the the unit couldn't be targeted by friendly tactics cards. Um, and I can't tell you how many times that was like a game changer. Um, maybe not completely changing the whole outcome of the game, like, you know, win-loss, but like, you know, really turning the tides. Uh, because, you know, certain cards like uh, What is Dead May Never Die, uh, just certain huge cards that couldn't be played because of him. Um, but overall, I do like the change. Um, not needing certain zones um, really helps out Baratheons, especially because you know a lot of their taxes cards require two zones, um, and he kind of compounded that you needed those zones um, and not needing them anymore. Just it just helps. Uh, Kurt, what's your uh, thoughts on him? He seems like he'll be a natural fit in lists running Melisandre for that plus one panic wound. Um, like you said, he had that before, but now it's independent of controlling the zones. So it seems like really it's just kind of an ease of use switch. He lost that control element, um, but 
I think he'll I think he'll fit in Mel lists, and I think that's primarily where I would see him. Yeah, and um, yeah, and that's a good point, uh, and we'll kind of segue into Melisandre because if you do influence, um, uh, wait, uh, let me double check. Melisandre is not a. I haven't used Melisandre in so long just because she's wasn't really worth it in my opinion. Okay, she is an influence when influence is a friendly unit. Um, oh, okay, so she's influencing a friendly unit. So yeah, so what you can do is have Axel influence, you take a zone with Axel, influence the enemy uh, so that they suffer one extra wound, assuming it's engaged with a ruler unit, um, and then you can activate Melisandra on your next uh, activation, take a zone, influence the friendly unit, the ruler unit that's engaged with the enemy, um, take two wounds off, let's say, because it's uh, a ruler faithful, uh, take a panic test, probably pass because you have a fort morale, um, and then now you're, um, uh, the enemy is taking a morale at minus two plus three, and then when they fail, they're going to become weakened. So I think, yeah, he he combos really well with Melisandre, which is now five points instead of six. And I think uh, I think because of the combo potential, five is a very fair cost for Mel. Um, she's not easy to use, and she's not, um, uh, let's say, she's not an obvious five-point uh, NCU. Because a lot of five-pointer NCUs have pretty awesome effects that clearly shine through. Hers, you're going to need to make sure your list really revolves around, uh, not completely around her, but you're going to really need to make sure that she combos with enough stuff. Uh, and Axel is a great addition to that. But I think you're going to also need at least one or two faithful um, and then possibly... Uh, Rolor Stannis, I always forget his subtitle, but, you know, so that way he can add that uh, Iron Resolve to a unit to help if you wanted to, that and he has Dauntless, so Mel will trigger, he'll pass, so it's like he's only taking one wound from Mel. Um, Kurt, what's your thoughts on Mel here? Um, I think he'll see more play at five points as opposed to six. Six was a tall ask, especially with the self-wound elements. Um, popular build with Mel was to always pair her up with Jack and to have double Melisandre bombs. Um, downside of that is you're burning through your own guys really fast, right? So I think I think she'll see more play, especially as we see, because um, I think a lot of people are predicting Greyjoys are going to come out of this update pretty strong. So a lot of people are looking at Melisandre as a key for Baratheon players to kind of check the uh, Greyjoys becoming the power ascendant that we're kind of thinking they might be. Um, other than that, she she performs the same, so it's a price reduction, so you could take that point and put it somewhere else. You could squeeze in a Red Priestess to get out a panic token to help ensure that those bombs do go off when you make that investment. Brett, uh, what's your thoughts here on uh, Melisandre? I, I definitely do want to talk about her, so give me just a second because this engine's running on this unit that I'm working on. Uh, okay, life's good. Just a second, and I will tell you. 
<laughs> um, I'm excited. Uh, I Mel originally was just so oppressive, uh, and then she she took like a complete 180, and then I think I've only ran her a couple times. Um, it also doesn't help that my main opponent is Baratheons, so I don't play Baratheons as much as I would like. But uh, but now I'm I'm super excited. Uh, I'm actually also going to be playing some games uh, in about three or four hours, uh, and I'm probably bringing Baratheons um, to try them out. All right. So, sorry. Um, yeah, I think I think Kurt pretty well nailed it there as uh, you know his reference to Greyjoy. Because I firmly believe that with Blind Baron coming into the mix, uh, Greyjoys have the potential to definitely be a powerhouse. They have the potential to claim the top spot. But the I guess for Greyjoys, the downside that they have is a lot of their lists hinge around double units of bowmen. And in addition to that, a lot of people really like Reavers with Victorian for the two activations. Those are all very, very, very juicy targets for Melisandre. Now, uh, you mentioned Melisandre Jockin, which I do think will become a thing. There are some safeguards in place for Baratheon players to kind of get through some of that damage that they cause. I know prior to this update, uh, when she was six points, I ran Mel Jockin. And I was using Dragonstone Nobles for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're a four-point solo that's really, really good. But you can set up a really nasty combination by taking the two wounds, going to the swords, taking the two wounds off the Dragonstone Noble for the Melisandre test. Uh, It's almost guaranteed to pass that panic test. And then it makes the swords attack, and it does three hits plus four additional hits, all with Thundering. And this is after they've taken that Melbomb test. So that's one thing that can work really well. If you feel a little bit nervous about that combination, you can go ahead and uh, play Baratheon Justice. If you have it in your hands, he'll pass the morale test. He'll heal back up to three. You'll still panic them. Baratheon. You know, the sword. Baratheon Conviction. Uh, Conviction is is still. It used to be Justice used to heal if you had the mail, but we'll be talking about the changes. Uh, Breathing Conviction is now the one that when you pass a morale test, uh, you restore two wounds automatically without restriction of zone. Okay, great. Well, then that's the card. I'm sorry for being mixed up with that. <laughs> You're um, good. That, that is still a nice combo. But the, the other thing you can run, so let's just do some really quick numbers here. You've got Melisandre Jockin, that's 10 points. You can run a third NCU. Maybe you don't have to. You can. Um, but you run two Dragonstone Nobles. You're at 18 points. Um, you run Mercenaries with Davos just to help restore the wounds from the guys that you're taking wounds off of. That's 23 points. Um, if you're running Stannis with Dauntless, uh, it's a solid combination. He'll only take one wound. Davos can essentially hear that, heal that for free. Or you can just do the both tests on Stannis himself. You've taken two total wounds across Davos, one wound on the mercenaries to heal. Um, you've still got room to plug some pieces in there. And I think a list like that is going to have Greyjoys basically shaking in their boots because you double-tap those archers, and the odds are that they're going to fail both, um, especially if you do the letters with one of the zones, put a panic token on them first. Um, odds are that they fail both. Then they're taking three to five wounds, 
you do that to them twice and you're getting into the realm where not even Windermere can hear and heal. Now they're starting their next round. Maybe they're considering taking the money bags just to get their numbers up and then you can bomb them again. I think by round two, you can get rid of one archer at least. Um, it would be much better to bomb those Victorian Reavers. But the larger point being, if a Melisandre meta becomes a thing, if a Melisandre Jockin meta becomes a thing, at the bare minimum, it could potentially force Greyjoy players to bring Asha as a commander. And in, and just for the morale bubble, just to protect those Vicarian Reavers and the Bowmen. And in my opinion, that's a win for everybody who doesn't play Greyjoy because Asha is kind of a, she's kind of a weak commander outside of that bubble. She has cards that do things that other people's cards already do. They're not game-breaking cards. They're not super unique, super cool, awesome cards. Um, she's not Baylor, you know, bringing Hardened into the last. So I'm really counting on guys like you, Kurt. I really need you to step it up, run that double Melisandre, and I need you to scare Greyjoys out of their standard double Bowman Vic Reavers build. I need you to do that for me. Uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> so, Brett uh, or Kurt, help me with this one. I'm uh, so Shalice and Shireen. Six points is the change, but there's also a change apparently on the uh, ability side. What changed? I'm trying to read it verbatim, and it uh, between the old and the new, and I can't find it. Uh, my brain's just having sure, a yeah. brain fart. So but, but the change is that the model no longer dies. Um, previously, when you used their ability, they would perish and you would you would lose an NCU. So you really never oh, okay, wanted yeah. to run them in two NCU lists before, and they really only were seen in three NCU lists. So this change, one, you're keeping your NCU. Two, you're gaining that flexibility where you can now run Fleece and Shereen comfortably in a two NCU list if you want. I used them back at Nationals last year. Um, and they, the the trick with them has always been you put them in a unit with good morale, and then you can put them into, like, um, Faithful. Or I used to put them in um, Blademen, and I would just shoot into combat. I didn't care that my unit was in combat, because if my unit passed, I would heal a wound. Or... No, my enemy would suffer a wound, so I could push through extra wounds that way. Um, it was a clever way to kind of chip away at your opponents. Um, but with things like Tycho, I found it to kind of be slow, a slow way to build damage. Uh, with that said, I think uh, the new the new meta is going to now be faithful with a uh, a noble in there for two points and then you put Shalice and Shireen and then you shoot in with Lightbringers causing uh, a stubborn tenacity combined with Shalice and Shireen for two auto wounds onto the enemy plus the shot <laughs> I'm just kidding uh, it, it would be a funny combo but definitely not something you're going to see all over the place um, Shalice and Shireen six points I think it's fair the only thing I'm worried about is just now that Melisandre is so much more uh, uh, worth taking, and then the synergy Mel has with either Jack and, and and or Axel, I think has sort of priced out Shalice and Shireen. And it's not to say Shalice and Shireen 
is still not usable, and then casual games where you just want to run them, it, you know, you're just going to have them in there for some cool effects. But especially now with, uh, uh, we'll get to it, but the to the last changing to something way better uh, and more reliable, I feel like she's just not going to be necessarily needed. Um, but I don't know. That's just kind of my thoughts. Overall, I do like that she doesn't kill her more uh, and that, uh, like you were saying, Kurt, a lot more flexibility with running NCUs, uh, especially because it does have that six-point price tag on there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would be really nice if, I don't know, five points might just be too too low. But, again, I think six points prices them out compared to Melisandre. Brett, what do you think? I, I think they have a place. Um, Whoa. I think they actually have a place. <laughs> well, no, yeah, it just, uh, when you initially talked, it was just really loud. That's because I have this big, booming, awesome voice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think they have a place alongside Melisandre because it is pseudo-stubborn tenacity, but it's also a morale boost. So I see... Yep. Um, champions of Stag are morale 5 already, so you can easily bump them up to morale 4 with Police and Trireen, and then you're giving them a pseudo-stubborn tenacity, which is nice. But the bigger thing is pairing that Melisandre panic test with what you mentioned, the the dragon, the, um, excuse me, the Stag Knight Noble already having stubborn tenacity. So it's really easy to force panic tests on that unit, deal two wounds, do Melisandre stuff, deal more wounds, and then when they attack you back, they have to deal with the hit from the faithful, go down fighting, and, you know, if you're running that, that unit of mercs with Davos, you're running um, Queensmen alongside them to where you can go get Baratheon Conviction as soon as they're attacked, I feel like you can get that card in your hand pretty easily, and that unit could just turn into kind of an auto-wounding machine. Now, they'll probably die. Their defense isn't great. But they're going to do a whole bunch of damage on the way out if things work out well. I think the fact that Melisandre can force panic tests on your terms and wound Dragonstone Noble on your terms is really, really, really strong. I think it's going to be probably at some point opponents are going to get kind of frustrated and annoyed because I think it's going to be that good because you're in control of it and you have now the ability to tutor that card with Queensmen. And yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a lot harder to get through that than what you might think. I forgot to mention, I do, I do think Sleaze and Shireen will be really, really good in combination with Queensmen now, now that they're a morale five, Sleaze and Shireen bump them to a morale four you can get that Baratheon conviction and reliably pass it. If you have those zones, you get the extra goodies. It's going to be a really good combo. Yep. And as you were mentioning, Brett, uh, we can jump right into the tactics card changes, uh, which I think are amazing. Um, Baratheon conviction is now when a friendly unit passes a morale test, that unit restores two wounds. If you control the crown, all enemies they are engaged with suffer one panic test. If you control the male, each enemy they are engaged with gains one condition token. Uh, you know, so just the base effect is pretty decent because uh, it combos with so many different uh, things, but also just all these other effects. Um, it really drives home, you know, that 
having, you know, the crown and the letter will really give you so many benefits as a Baratheon player, whereas before you felt like you needed those zones just to make your cards, you know, on par uh, with average cards for other decks. Now I feel like they've done a great job in uh, in giving it a nice base ability with so much potential um, with having the other zones. Uh, Kurt, what do you think? Um, these are really good changes. Like, if we're going to put it frankly, the old cards sucked. They were they were bad <laughs> news bears, and we've complained about them for a long time on Baratheon Discord. So, Baratheon Conviction, they scrapped it. They basically moved Baratheon Justice over. And I think Michael and Fabio must have been listening because we were saying for months that they needed to move the heel to the initial part of the card and then whatever extra goodies that that card gives out based on the zones should be the latter portion of the card. But we love to see that. That was like exactly what we wanted to see for Baratheon Conviction. And then Baratheon Justice, um, we don't have to worry about passing a morale check or a panic test. Uh, It just goes off when the enemy attacks us. It's 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 a it's war cry in your pocket, and that's always great with Spanish rightful heir with tactical approach. We love to see extra tokens out there. Um, we're we're I guess I shouldn't speak for other people. I'm really happy with these card changes. Yeah, and Baratheon Justice. Yeah, after an enemy completes attack, the attacker becomes panicked and vulnerable. And if you control either the crown or the uh, letter, they become weakened. So you only need one or the other, uh, which is huge, because, um, you know, this card can easily and reliably, just after you get attacked, okay, now you have every token. Um, where is, whereas, you know, Free Folk have a similar card, but you need, like, I think it's like four units within short range in order, if you wanted to get all four or all three tokens on your opponent. Um, so this, yeah, Justice is an amazing card. It's going to provide so many tokens, especially for uh, Starter Box Stannis, um, Rightful Heir, I think it, it, he's called, um, you know, because he has that one, uh, his one tax cards that expend uh, tokens to do auto wounds. Um, so, uh, and then Final Strike. I believe the only change to Final Strike is now that it uh, it works even if your unit dies. So before you actually had to live through the attack, um, Final Strike is now uh, able to trigger even if your opponent kills you, which I think is great because I can't tell you how many times that you know I'd get hit with a just an okay attack, an okay attack, and it was that last. You know that it was those two attacks weren't good enough to use final strike, and then it's okay. This third attack is going to finish me, and now I'm just not going to get to play it because um, sometimes that those big hits never come, um, and at least you know if like oh well if I'm dying anyways I might as well get this card out of my hand. Uh, so Brett, what's your take on all three of these cards? Oh, they're just immensely buffed. Um, Final Strike it was always a good card it was kind of a the, the Baratheon secret weapon for slaying dragons um, the fact that it can now work on death just makes it a little bit easier to trigger I think there were a lot of times where you would hold that card and it was like oh well I only took two wounds do I Final Strike 
uh, probably not. And uh, I just died. And that that sucks. So um, <laughs> being able to play it when you die, you know, it, it it just makes the card more playable. As we've seen with a deck like Free Folk deck, uh, just being able to play cards whenever, not having to hold them for the right moment is definitely a big part of what makes factions strong. Um, it's the same for Night's Watch. Their, their tactics deck is strong not just because of the attached cards, but strong because you can trigger them. You can play them. You can get them out of your hands. You're going to get attacked, you know, things like this. So I think that helps for Baratheons to be able to play those cards whenever. And they're also pretty substantially buffed. But I see some really cool, crazy combos, particularly with Baratheon Conviction. If you're running Melisandre, I can see a world where you run Melisandre in conjunction with Peter, and, you know, you take Peter to control the crown or the letter, whichever one you don't have. Um, you know, I could see you going, melt the letters, give them panic, do the bomb. Peter Baelish goes to, I guess that wouldn't work. Crap. Now, anyway, you could go, Peter Baelish, own the crowns, melt the letters, give them their panic test, play Baratheon Conviction, and then do a chain panic on two other units, you know and you, you're making them panic for every single one of them, it's going to hurt really, really bad. It's a really cool synergy. Yep. There was one yeah, other I, change I, um, that was missed. Um, they improved. They both improved and weakened Final Strike in a way. So they, they made it so it works on death, obviously. Um, the, the downside is you used to have a choice. You didn't have to bounce the hits onto the attacker. If you were engaged with two or more units, you could actually bounce those hits onto another unit you were engaged with. So they took that away. So that was like a cheeky way to like finish off another enemy unit that you're engaged with that was like already weakened. That's gone. But I, I'd say it's probably fair to say most Brathian players would much rather have the ability to use, to make that trade off to get this card to work on death and just hit the attacker. Like that's a fair trade off. Yeah, I agree, because more often than not, you wanted to hit the attacker anyways, at least in my experience. And a lot of times, you're only engaged with one unit anyways. Um, and I think it makes more sense, to be totally honest, you know, to just be hitting the unit that uh, that killed you. Um, all right, now moving on to the units. Um, we've already talked about Champions of the Stag. Uh, most people still don't really care for them much compared to Flayed Men. Uh, I like them a lot. Um, but over to Kingsmen and Queensmen. Going to kind of talk about them both at the same time, just because I want to mention how. Again, maybe I'm. It's just me. I feel like what they did to Queensmen has completely made Kingsmen almost untakeable, because Queensmen now have uh, a six dice at second rank, whereas they only had five before. Matching Kingsmen. Uh, profile uh, for attack profile in every way. Kingsmen lost Sundering, so they no longer gain that keyword over the Queensmen. Queensmen have one better armor and one better morale, only trading off one move. And now with the bust to the cards, uh, the Queensmen can now pull between two different cards that are both arguably just as good as the one card that Kingsmen can take. And Queensmen are R'hllor to trigger all those effects, and they both have to the last. Um, so I know I kind of jumped around a lot there, but um, I will, before I go to you guys, just quickly go through what their stats are now individually. I just want to make that point. Um, but Queensmen, 
overall their their change was uh, they get one extra die at second rank. They get a plus one boost to their morale, so they're now a five morale. Um, their uh, queen's blade uh, stayed the same. It just technically changed because the two cards that they go and get both changed, conviction and justice. And to the last uh, is place two heart tokens on this card at the start of the game. Each time the unit would be destroyed, remove one heart token from the card. It makes one morale test. On its uh, success, this unit is not destroyed, but remains in play with one wound. Um, and it's nice that it has two heart tokens to do this, not only twice, but also is a backup just in case you die from the dice, you pass your morale, you use a token, you stay alive, then you take your morale test for the attack that killed you, and then you fail, you can then use that second token to... Um, potentially still stay alive. Granted, you're going to have to use both tokens to do this, but it's just kind of a safety net. But that also then lends to the fact that being in the five-up morale rather than the six on the Kingsman means that they have a much greater chance to make to the last really work. The Kingsman change is, uh, yeah, they lost Thundering, and um, their order to the last changed to be... Um, what what the Queensman version is. Um, and Hours of the Fury did not change, so that the King's Blade didn't change. Um, so, I don't know. I, and I'm super disappointed, because me, personally, I think both sculpts are amazing, but I loved the Kingsman sculpts, like, uh, a lot better than the Queensman sculpts. Um, Kurt, what's your opinion here? Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to completely disagree with you on your whole take there. <laughs> old Queensmen, old Queensmen were so bad. <laughs> uh, I think I, 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 I don't want to like be hyperbolic, but I've, I've said this before on the discord and I, I feel like it bears repeating here. If you would have made old Queensmen five points, I would have still taken wardens over them. Old Queensmen needed the love. They got some love. They look really good now. And that's a good thing, Right. Um, they've improved morale and they've improved the cards that they draw with Queen's Blade and then two blasts changed and that's changed across both units and then they've gained a rank, a die on the second rank, right? So Queensmen, yes, very solid, but they have different roles. Your Queensmen are a more defensive unit and your Kingsmen are the more offensive unit and you missed something on the King's Blade ability. It did change and this is so big and cannot be understated. King's Blade now works when you attack. It previously worked when you were attacked. So old Kingsmen were kind of like this unit that had an identity crisis where they weren't sure what they wanted to be. They had four defense, six morale, like they say in uh, Chernobyl. Not great, not terrible, right? But you don't want to be getting hit if you've got those stats, right? But you had to get hit in order for that order to work. Now it works when you attack. It's a speed five unit, which is fast for Baratheon. So it's built like an alpha strike unit. And now its order synergizes with how the unit wants to be played, which is aggressive and attacking, because now you're getting that Ars of the Fury when you attack. And they lost the Sundering, but they can always get Sundering from Ars of the Fury. Previously, you could get all three abilities from Ars of the Fury if you had at least one zone. Now you actually have to make more of an effort to control the zones to get all those benefits because they've lost the innate thundering, but they can still have both zones 
superficially if you run Android Commander in them. So I love the changes that they made to both. I think both are going to see the table now in a way they never did in the past. Kingsblade on the attack, perfect. That's what they needed, what they needed so badly. Uh, yeah, that's an amazing point you made. I did not notice, partially probably because I'm trying to stare at this thing sideways. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that definitely changes my opinion on them. Um, I would still say that uh, they definitely do have different roles. Trying to fit both of them in there in the same list is going to be a little tough, um, but doable. And like you were saying, and it's no longer in order, so you can... Um, do it for every single attack that you do. Uh, so you take that free attack. You to put the Andrew in them, as you were saying, because that was like my favorite combo ever. Andrew's my favorite Baratheon commander. You take the free attack. You go get Hours of the Fury. You use it. Uh, is it still discard pile? Um, yep. Yeah, uh, you can so drop them discard that, for both. So you take the free attack. You go get it. You get all the effects. You use it, okay, then they activate, you uh, go get it again, discard pile, use all the effects, now you play, uh, you put your other NCU on the board, you play Assault Orders, you go get it, use all the effects, yeah, I, I'd have to say, um, uh, it, they take a little more, uh, um, um, I guess they're not as easy to use as the Queensmen, but, I mean, granted, they probably shouldn't be as easy. They're like a, a true offensive unit compared to the Queensmen def defensive unit, and more often than not, defensive units are a little easier to to wield, you know, or, or kind of just get, get what they're supposed to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely am. I stand corrected with that, that miss there. Um, and... You know, I'm actually super excited to possibly run them tonight now uh, with you mentioning that, so I appreciate that. Uh, Brett, um, what's uh, what's your take on these two units? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, you're going to use them for different situations. They're, they're kind of different roles. Um, if you're running um, Champions of the Stag and you're going for just a really heavy grind, you'll want the Queensman because you can go get Baratheon Conviction and heal. If you want to be a little bit more offensive and go get stuff dead, you'll run the Kingsman because they're, their trigger is easy to pull off, which you mentioned with Assault Orders and Swords and everything else. Um, the other thing is you, with the Kingsman, there's definitely a play where you... You know, you're going for a more killy list, so you're running Slademan instead of running the uh, the uh, Champions of the Stack. So you go get the Hours of the Fury, and then you play that on your Slademan instead of playing it on your Kingsman right away. Um, you could also make a case for just doing that to the Champions of the Stag just to ensure that they get even more punch out of their profile. So you don't always have to play it on the Kingsman. It might be the smart thing to do, but... If you know that you can charge with your heavy cavalry or something, it could there could be a play where it's better to just go ahead and grab it, play it on your heavy cab, and do a shit ton of damage. So I can see that, and then I can see Queensmen in a pretty heavy relore list just getting uh, Baratheon Conviction and keeping everything healed up. So definitely room for both. 
Yeah, I can't wait. Um, so excited with these changes. Uh, and then next up, uh, Thornwatch. Uh, only changes they went to six points. Um, I'm going to say they're not, like, broken at six points. I think they are going to be amazing at six points. Um, but not – they're again, they're going to – they're one of those units that you're not just going to be able to field them, and they're just going to be naturally amazing at six points. I think if you build around them and you do, like, certain things to them, uh, for example, just Runly uh, Commander for that boldness and courage, uh, keeping them at that six-point cost uh, is going to make them an extremely good six-point unit. So if you if you work around it, you're going to make this unit easily worth its six points. It's going to definitely pull its weight. Um, but again, you're not going to just be able to throw these guys on the table and expect them to be the most, you know, powerful six-point unit around. Uh, Kurt, what's your thoughts? For the Thornwatch specifically, I um, I don't yeah. play that much friendly, but I know that a lot of people talk about taking Loris in them because they're a speedier way to use and deliver Loris in order to use Expert Duelist. Um, and that seems to be like the most popular kind of go-to attachment and combination for them right now. Um, they have that built-in healing, which Team Renly always likes. I think they'll see play at six. I mean, that's what everyone was hoping they were when they were initially revealed. Was like, we hope this is a six-point unit, not a seven-point unit. <laughs> yeah. Those wishes have been answered. So. I mean, granted, it's only, a, I believe, a six-up morale, which isn't bad. Uh, but, yes, putting Loris in there um, will also add in the Dauntless healing, which I think could help quite a bit, too. Uh, Brett, what's your uh, thoughts on the Thorn Watch here? No, I thought they were okay at just seven points. It, it, it's pretty difficult to buy them because they're kind of a, a niche role. They're a little bit difficult to use. I think they are solid with Brienne. If you can get them to attack Renly, I think, to do that, you pretty much had to go with Renly and Stagnites, which is 15 point, or it was 16 points at that point for Brienne and Thornwatch and Renly and Stagnite. So probably a little bit too expensive for what they do. But having Swift Strike and Regroup was always really solid, in my opinion, because healing is so important in this meta, and it just makes them a really annoying unit to have to try to deal with. I think overall they envision a situation where the Thorn Watch can attack and then they retreat off to the side and then they're using, like, the swords to shoot you or using their activation to shoot you. Um, I'm not really too sure the crossbows are kind of... They seem to me like it's something that, hey, it's there. You might not get to use it a lot, but it's there. Uh, for me, they're they're a melee unit that wants to hit, retreat, and, and heal and just keep kind of bouncing back from the verge of death. They're definitely playable at six. All right, last up for the Baratheons, Relore Lightbringers. Only change is they went from seven points to six points, and my mind is blown. Uh, this is like one of the curveballs that came out of, out of nowhere that I did not see coming uh, because, in my opinion, uh, out of all the, like, Baratheon stuff that kind of came all at once between them, the Kingsmen, Queensmen, and whatnot, uh, they were the only ones that I felt were, like, performing at their seven-point level. Now, seven points is a hefty price to pay for a ranged unit, but, um, and I'm not saying they're, like, an amazing seven-point unit, but they, I feel like they they 
may do at seven points. Um, six points, I would say they are arguably now the best ranged unit. Uh, and I'm talking like bows or crossbows, not necessarily talking like war machines or anything. Uh, but I would say they're arguably best ranged unit out of any faction um, within context of the faction. Um, like you wouldn't, I don't know if you could, putting these guys just in any faction doesn't necessarily make them the same thing. But, um, Kurt, what's your thoughts on these guys? Um, I think it's big. I ran double Lightbringer at LVO, so I was happy taking them at seven points. Um, I think they'll be fair at six, though. We've seen, um, you know, the big the big uh, thing with Lightbringers is they had that four-plus armor save, so they were the tanky archers. That was kind of unique to Baratheon. But we've just seen Lannister crossbowmen come up to four defense save as well. Um, ranged Vicious, uh, I think, looks scarier, and I think was... I think it was overvalued in a sense because Vicious doesn't have any value if you don't actually get any wounds to go through. And the Lightbringers don't have the sundering that all the crossbow units have. So if you were firing into a heavily armored unit, say you had flayed men buried down on you or champions of the stag coming in, a lot of times Lightbringers couldn't, they couldn't do their job, which was to push damage through. Um, But they'll, they'll be an absolute terror to factions like free folk Actions like Greyjoy, if they can get those ba- those bouncing panic tests to go off, they can push through a lot of damage. Um, I think this is kind of like a broader statement over 2021 as a whole. I think Lightbringer suffered because you have a couple factions that were average five morale across the board, and then the factions that were typically like considered lower or weaker morale, they were using Mance as a crutch or Asha is a crutch. And so all of these targets that you would normally think would be great targets were all like base five morale. So with Vicious, you were only pushing them to a seven, and that's just, that's just a coin flip right there. So I think at six, I think they'll be fair at six. Um, they really, I think the biggest takeaway from this is it opens up so many different options when it comes to list building because now you've freed up a couple points, Right. So you can now stick attachments in there, and they, there's a lot of great options. You could go with, we talked about Red Priestess earlier, uh, Bronze, a great choice, and Davos attachment. Davos. That's great, yep. and Lightbringers. So I think if you're going to take these, you really want to put an attachment in them, um, and I think they'll do work for you. Oh, yeah. I, I'm i super excited to run them. I actually only – I. I have a second still in shrink wrap, and I was like, you know what, at seven points, I don't know if I'd ever want to unwrap the second one. And I know you were saying you run two at seven, and I've considered some lists, but I was just like, you know what, I don't know how often I'll actually use it. So, But now at six points, I could definitely see myself running two, and then even running two, one with Braun and one with Davos, uh, could be huge. Um, and... Uh, maybe some Dragonstone Nobles and whatnot, but I don't know. It, I think it has a lot of potential. Um, all right, and so we don't have a lot of time. I'm going to do the really short faction. We're going to do Greyjoys. So uh, we have Victorian Greyjoy, uh, three-point attachment. Excuse me, sorry. Um, he has Relentless and Fierce Charge, same as before. The only difference is Relentless is now melee only. This is something that they already kind of discussed was going to happen, and I think it's a good change. Um, 
And then Baylor Blacktide Commander, uh, he just has his to the last change to what the Queensman and Kingsman have, and he still has Hardened. Um, going to be very interesting to see this ability in conjunction with a super good morale unit like, let's say, uh, um, uh, Silence Men, and then still having a what is dead may never die in your hand. Um, only two changes for Greyjoys, um, and uh, as far as Baylor, I think he just got a huge boost because of that to the last becoming just that much better, in my opinion. Um, Brett, what do you think? I know they're your favorite faction out there. we got about two minutes left if you have something quick to say. They're good, but, but like he mentioned, you know, you can. there's going to be stuff with good defense and solid morale that's going to be, you know, they're not going to be bothered horribly too much by them. Um, that splash panic damage is definitely going to be a thing, uh, the, and the initial panic is going to be a thing. Um, but, hey, Baratheon's going to have nice things, I guess. It's going to be a lot of panic. <laughs> um, but, again, I'm really, really hoping for you Stannis side guys, hoping for Stannis, to reel in these uh, over-activation armies, these activation spam armies. need you guys to bring them down to earth and at least make it to where both lists don't look like that. So uh, it would be cool. No, in all seriousness, I, I hope that it's a meta shakeup. I don't know, will it 100% solve activation spam? I mean, I don't know. It depends on how many people play Baratheon. If, if they're common and it happens a lot, I think it forces the hand of the meta to at least, like I said, do one list that can resist morale. Um, I don't see some of the lists that you see right now holding up to this Baratheon barrage of panic. They're just going to die in a, in a barrage of flaming arrows and sacrifices to Lord of light and auto wounds and all this other stuff. So um, it's cool. It's exciting. We'll have to see what happens. Give it a few weeks. Uh, Get some get some trial and some error and tinker around with it and see what works. But I think I think there's definitely potential for Baratheons after this update. All right, so we're closing down to the last uh, like minute or so of the show. I want to say thank you all for listening in. Uh, only got through two factions, I guess three technically if you count the two cars from Greyjoys, but uh, it's probably going to be a three-parter. But like I said, we like to kind of deep dive into each and every little thing and. And really discuss it, um, you know. So I hope you guys kind of like that format of things. Um, well, maybe throw a bonus episode somewhere this week or early next week, just to kind of make you know counteract how how long it's going to take to get through these updates thoroughly. But again, I want to thank you all for listening in. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Kurt, for calling in and kind of giving your feedback. And I really appreciate you catching some of that stuff that I that I missed there. Thank you for All having right. me. I had so, a blast. Um, I feel like I was talking a mile a minute, but, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, just in the nick of time, you know, down to the last seconds of the show. Um, again, thank you all for listening in. And until next time, this is Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. <laughs>